Well, good morning. Oh, I'll try that again. Good morning. Hey, we are here. We are awake. We're not asleep already. Um, I'm not going to try and beat my record of two people with this morning. But if you do want a snooze, that's okay, because we record it so you can catch it later. Um, let me just pray, because we don't want that to happen, do we? We don't want uh, people falling asleep. So let's just pray God speaks to us. Thank you, Simon, for your mocking of me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us today. Thank you that we know you are the redeemer and the king through the revelation of scripture. Thank you that we know what kind of God you are, the God who loves us, the God who rescued us forever. And we thank you for this teaching from Matthew about uh, from the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus teaches the people. And what we pray, God, that we learn something of it today, that you'd speak to us, even though it's 2000 years later, that we'd recognize your word still speaks to us today. And that whatever we're going through, whatever moment that we're in, that we'd be able to take on board what you have to say to us this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible, now's a good time. I'm just going to read the start of it, just because I think that's helpful. I don't know if we'll do that every week, but we're still in Matthew 5. uh, Matthew 5, 5 today, but let me just read the start of it. And he opened his mouth, that's Jesus And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's where we're up to this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And some people had this uh, not so long ago. Someone said to me, how do you know God's got a sense of humor or, you know, that God likes us to have joy and fun? Well, I know for a fact that that's true because of what I'm speaking on this morning. Blessed are the meek. Now, if you were to kind of you know, we do this sometimes. We go, what's our character like? Here's 10, 10 things that certain persons like. You might say they're passionate or they're fun or they're energetic. You know, meek probably, to my shame, wouldn't be one of the words that you'd use to describe me. But it should be. And it should be a word that's used to describe every single Christian. Now, I know, again, it's a word that we don't really use. It's one that we don't really come across. But it says here that... Those who display meekness, they will inherit the earth. It's a pretty cool thing to say. Um, I don't know if anyone here, when was the last time you heard a compliment for someone when they said, oh, you know what, that person, they're so meek. Anybody ever? No, I've never, ever heard anybody describe anybody as meek. But I think on the theme of redemption, it's a word that we need to redeem. A word and a, a biblical principle that needs to be seen in the life of the church And obviously, we've got to understand what meekness is in order to see that. But it's something that we need to talk about and obviously practice and do uh, more. Before we get on to that, um, when we're doing the Beatitudes, when we're going through these, which is Jesus' teaching, his Sermon on the Mount, it's important to remember something, that it's not just our practical kind of application. The Beatitudes are not just what we do in response, but there's something more serious going on than that. It's what do these have to do with God? What do each of these statements have to do with God himself? Um, how do these blessings, what do they have to do with God? So there is a, there's a vertical thing going on here this morning and a horizontal thing. So the horizontal thing might be that we're meek and that we're, we're stepping out and being meek. But there is a vertical thing and it's we're meek. Why? Because it brings glory to God. Um, otherwise, if we take what does this have to do with God out of the equation, you're left with this, you're left with... Um, you could read that people that are poor, people that are a bit upset, people that are meek, people that are merciful, people that are pure, people that are at peace, they're the blessed ones. 
that's how you could read it if you take out, has this got anything to do with God? But we have to reverse slightly and think this, actually, it's not just about character disposition. It's not just about, oh, that person's really meek. They were born that way and they've grown up and they are a meek person. But it's more to do with what has it got to do with God. And when I use the word meek, just think humble in your mind, I suppose, in, in brackets. It's not quite the same, but it's near enough that meekness can be equated similar to humility. Um, but first, Jesus is kind of talking about this, this vertical relationship. And so what I want to just remind you of, I know this is the third beatitude, but I think it's important, that actually the Sermon on the Mount primarily is about the glory of God. It's primarily about how are these things worked out so that God's fame increases? How are these things worked out so that more people would know Jesus? It's missional. We're not just meek for the sake of it, but we want to be meek so that people would glorify God. Verse 16, which comes at the end uh, of this passage, says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So random meek guy who has no vertical doesn't bring glory to God who is in heaven, does he? So therefore he's not blessed. It's all in relation to God. And what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to put forward a lifestyle. He's trying to say, live in this way as disciples. And if you live in this way, it will bring value to God. People will see your life and start to ask questions. People will see something different within you. And then as a result, will glorify God. Every single beatitude is countercultural. Every single beatitude goes against what our natural inclination or what we would want to be doing. So for example, last week, it isn't a natural thing for us to grieve over our sin, but it's something that we're called to do. This week, to be meek, it's not something that naturally we would pursue and do. To be gentle, to have quiet strength, to be humble. The way we're programmed is that we're the center of the universe and everyone else can stick it. But these beatitudes are there in order to say, well, if we're set apart and we live in a countercultural way that is sometimes costly, even though it's beautiful, it makes a massive difference to the world we're living. Um, I want to say this as well, that Jesus doesn't care for our transformation apart from it bringing glory to God. He doesn't care for it. The reason he wants us to be transformed is that it brings glory to God. It's not just for the sake of it. We're not into life coaching. I'm not here to make you a better human being. I want you to be more like Jesus. We're not on self-improvement, morale, high five, everybody's cool, everybody's great. We're not. We need Jesus. But if we can be more like him, we'll bring glory to God. So uh, Matthew 11:29. this is what it says. I know we're not in Matthew 11, but this is Jesus speaking. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You go, okay, great, I can, I can do that. Why? For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The word gentle there can be translated meek. So take my yoke upon you, be like me, learn from me. Why? Because I'm meek, because I'm gentle, because I'm lowly in heart. He sets the standard of what's expected of those that follow after him. Um, so discipleship starts and ends with looking like Jesus. It doesn't defer off from the cross. It doesn't defer from death and resurrection at any point. It always comes back to that point. So we're meek, not as an optional extra, but because God tells us to be. Which is what he's saying in 5.5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So I just want to ask this question, because it's a question I asked. How does our meekness, our humility demonstrate that we're following after him? Um, synonyms for meek are things like gentle, mild, quiet, strength. Often things that, particularly as a man I feel anyway, that might be perceived as weakness. 
you know, oh, he's really gentle. Or we can take advantage of that pushover because he's gentle or mild. But actually, it's more talking about a quiet strength. That this isn't a weakness at all, but something that you've got to be incredibly strong to, to go on with. Probably the, the best place for us to help us understand what this all means, because that's what we need to do, really. We've got to understand what it means, is uh, verses that Jesus quotes. Jesus quotes verses here from Psalm 37, 11. That's what he's alluding to. There's an Old Test in the Old Testament when he says, blessed are the meek. He's lifted it from the Old Testament. And Jesus does that all over the place. And uh, this is either really cool or really sad. But one of the first chats I had with Grace before she was my wife, so this is how cool we are, was about Psalm 37. Now you're all thinking we're either super spiritual or just weird. Um, I'll let you make your mind up. But it was more that actually Psalm 37 is my favorite psalm. And it turned out that it was Grace's favorite psalm as well. And that wasn't planned or we didn't, we didn't have like a little secret meeting and say we've got the same favorite psalm, haven't we, so we can get married now. But it just so happened that way. So it's a brilliant psalm. So if you've got your Bible, it'd be great to turn to it because I'm just going to spend a little bit of time in there. Um, but I want you to just look at verse 9b, which is the second half of 9, not the first half of 9, and 11. In verse 11 of Psalm 37, which is where Jesus lifts it from, he says this, It's the meek that shall inherit the land. And then in 9b, he says, Those who wait inherit the land. So you could conclude straight away that meekness and waiting on God are often one and the same thing. Because he's just worded it in a slightly different way. And then we have this from verses 5 to 8. These are some of my favorite verses. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So you've then got verse 9b and you've got verse 11 that talk about it's the meek, it's those who wait and God will inherit the land and those promises. And the description of what that looks like is verses 5 through 8. So it makes sense for us to kind of actually look at well, what does, if Jesus is saying it's the meek, then actually verses 5 through 8 of Psalm 37 describe what that looks like for us today. And incidentally, if you're thinking I'm kind of bodging it here, the word for land in Psalm 37 and the word that Jesus uses for earth are one and the same. So it is a direct quote, if you like, from Psalm 37. So here are a few thoughts and applications based on those few verses on what it looks like. Because it's one thing saying we should be humble because then we'll be blessed of God. But practically, we need to know what that looks like, don't we? How in our life can I go about it in that way? How can I make changes in order to live in such a way? And the first thing I just want to say, these are really quick, but I've got a few. Uh, the first one is commit your way to God and then trust him with it. That's what it says in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him and he will act. It seems straightforward, but how often do we say, yes, I will follow you, God? And then we start to take matters into our own hands. I'm reminded of Abraham in the Bible. There's countless other people who, who say, yes, I'm going to commit my way to God. And then either get bored waiting or say, well, I'm going I'm to force the issue here. Because it hasn't happened quite how I would want it to. So I'll force the issue. Instead of waiting for heaven to intercept earth, we force the hand of God. And you know what? That isn't meekness personified. Meekness would be the other. Meekness would be saying, committing your way to God and trusting him in it. Now, I think we all know, that there'll, be, there'll be some people who we all know, um, 
from different Christian circles or even our own, I don't know, who um, will say, I'm waiting on God in a really kind of super spiritual way. And what that means is they haven't bothered doing their CV because they're waiting for a job, but they haven't bothered doing their CV. They haven't applied for anything. They're basically just sitting around waiting for the heavens to open it and for it to be glorious and equating that as waiting upon God and committing our way. And it would be untrusting for me to update my CV somehow and untrusting for me to apply to jobs. We probably all know someone like that. In fact, we might be that very person. I don't know. But that's not what is being described here. That's not what Jesus has in mind. It's not what the psalmist has in mind. It's rather this. Trust doesn't mean not doing anything. Trust means that God knows better regardless of what we face. So even in those moments, it's interesting that what the intro to the service has all been about when life seems to conspire against you. I mean, we hadn't had a secret conversation about that. We hadn't kind of, you know, we weren't in cahoots about what I was preaching on so we could open up the service in that way. But it's that God knows better. If we're prepared to commit, and that word literally means roll. So what it means is the things that are in our life, our employment situation, our relationship status, our worries for the future, financial or otherwise, health, family, that we roll them onto God. That's what it means to commit. We roll them. So we take them off ourselves and we roll them onto him. And that's one of the angles that Jesus is getting here. The meek roll their worries, roll the things that weigh them down onto God. They commit their way to him. They don't just let life burden them down. They give them to God because they know God knows better than we do. Right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God does. And so we can roll our worries and our fears and our frustrations onto God. And you know what that means? It says, I'm not able to cope. It admits, I can't do this alone. I can't face these challenges without your help. That's what God wants. Blessed are the meek. One of the angles, one of the, and it's got many components of meekness, is that we roll our stuff, the things that happen in life, onto God. So often we stress and we overthink and we worry. Probably, I'll tell you why, because we're trying to handle a million and one things that we were never meant to handle. We're worried and stressed because we've not rolled them onto God. We've not said, God, you know what? I can't, I can't handle this. I don't understand, but you know what? I'm going to trust in you. That's what it means to commit our way to him. That's what it means to trust. Uh, it just reminded me, I know I've said this before, it reminded me of just the house situation that we had, that it was the last port of call for me to roll it onto God. I would roll it onto the, the, the council and say, council, you should deal with it. I would phone up the homelessness service and say, homeless people, we're going to be homeless, sort us out. And they go, well, you're not homeless there, so because you're not homeless, we can't help you. Stupid system. But I wasn't rolling it onto God. And when we did roll it onto God and say, you know what, God, actually, actually, God, <laughs> we, we're pretty stuck here if there's not a divine intervention, but we're going to trust you with it. Do you know what? He came through. Do you know what? He sorted out and it's got that lovely, like, you know, easy access disabled ramp if you've been to my house, which is brilliant if you've got knees like mine. It's fantastic. But I rolled it onto him. The lesson is this, roll first, not last. That's what the meat looked like. Roll now. Give it to God now. Commit your way to God now. Don't wait till you've exhausted every other option. Trust him in it first. Then the psalmist says this, be still before God. Wait patiently for him. 
Again, it's not a pass to do nothing. It's not a pass to just twiddle our thumbs. But the meek person doesn't go about in a frenzy. Right? Doesn't go about, like, you know, we've all been there. It's like, oh, well, I can't think about this because I've got to think about this. That's not meekness. That's not what God wants for us. God offers us a steady calm that, said, that says God is bigger. God is greater. God is more capable than we are of handling what appears to be a massive thing in our life. And so in the midst of upheaval, there can be a calm steadiness upon us because we're trusting in God. And how do we get that? The only reflection I've got is got to be a perspective thing, hasn't it? You know, when we're in the frenzied situation, it's only when we take a step back. It's only when we look at the bigger picture and we say, okay, if I roll this onto God and I trust in him, I can wait on him and trust him with what's going to happen in the future. There's the great psalm, though oceans roar, God is the Lord of all. The third thing we're thinking on is the second part of verse 7, which says, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. We all like to do this, don't we? We all like to fret about other people. To the detriment of our own walk with God. That we're fretting about, oh, how has so-and-so got away with that? If I tried that, I'd be snookered straight away. How's that happened? Or why is it that that person who's blatantly evil, in inverted commas, just doing wrong before God, seems to be raking in the cash? Seems to be doing quite all right, and then it is me suffering away. Or insert any other example that might come into your, how is it that that person gets paid more money for doing less work than me? How's that happen? Whatever comes through your mind. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. We will be hit by setbacks. There will be things in this life that we don't like. That's par for the course, right? I think. We don't walk on air just because we're following Jesus. That our path is somehow made super smooth. But it means this. The meek are not bitter about other people's success. Or even about the one who seems to be prospering when we don't. The meek don't get caught up in bitterness. They don't get stewed up about the prosperity of others. Or those who carry out evil stuff. Because we know that one of the only losers from our bitterness is us, right? We start getting stewed up and it starts affecting our own heart. And we grow resentful and cynical and harsh. Really, along with you know the people that are on the receiving end of our anger... Our own hearts suffer when we're angry and resentful and bitter. It's just a window of our own heart, isn't it? I've been dwelling on these verses. I like Carl and reading the Bible in a year. I'm a little further behind because I started late. Um, and it says this. This is Jesus. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then a little later, he says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. So if we're getting a bit bitter and a bit stewed up and a bit angry and a bit resentful, it's just a reflection and a window of our own heart. That that's what our hearts look like, our hearts look like a bit chewed up and stewed up and angry. And God wants hearts that pour out good and encouragement and build up and encourage and don't knock down. But we can't just paint good fruit on a bad tree. We can't do that. Grace said it's a little bit like, um, I don't like this film. It's a bit weird and a bit scary. Alice in Wonderland. 
where what colour are them roses? Pink or white? White, and they paint them red. But it's like, they're not red roses. You can't just paint good fruit on your life and not deal with your heart. You can't just make it appear like you're pouring forth good speech, but your heart is a wreck. That you're behind the scenes bitter and angry and resentful. That's not what the meek are like. You know what we need? We need a whole new tree. And, and that's why we have a Redeemer King who gives us that whole new tree, gives us a brand new life. That we don't have to be who we used to be because Jesus has died upon a cross, died for our sin, died for all that bad stuff. That we might have a new life. That we don't have to fabricate painting on good stuff. We can have good fruit because our hearts can be made good by following after him. And that's what the meat looked like. They commit their way to God. They trust him. They wait on God. They don't force his hand. And they don't fret about life when opposition comes because they know God's got it. They don't pretend to be, you know, they don't pretend to be people that they're not. And they repent and they know that they make mistakes and they get things wrong. But they come back again to God. They recognize their need of him. They're the poor in spirit as well as the meek. A great example of this comes from the Bible itself. I was going to use an illustration. I was going to say, oh, here's an example of meekness and look at my life. But I thought that wouldn't really work very well. So I went for Moses instead. And this is what it says in Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron, who are relatives of Moses, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he'd married. For he'd married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Basically, in this section of Numbers, Moses is taking some heat. He's taking some flack from Aaron and Miriam. And they're critical, they're angry, and they're bitter towards him. And what happens in the verses that follow the opposition, because this is opposition to Moses, the opposition to Moses is that he's vindicated by God. That Aaron and Miriam, if you read on, get a bit of a scolding and a telling off from God. And slap bang in between the opposition of these bitter and angry people and the vindication of God is this statement, Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Now, I always thought it was a bit funny and a bit of a paradox because we know Moses wrote numbers, right? So Moses is saying Moses was the most humble man on the planet. He's writing that about himself, which seems like a bit of a paradox, but then God backs him up. So I'm happy, and I'm happy to allow Moses to have written that about himself. God intervenes, and God defends him. What's my point here? My point is, there's a real-life example of waiting on God, trusting in him, rolling stuff onto God, and not taking it into our own hands and being angry. Have you noticed, they're angry and bitter towards Moses, but it doesn't say that Moses responded at all. It just says, Moses was meek, the meekest man on the whole earth. It doesn't say, and Moses said, get behind me, Satan, like we have Jesus scolding Peter in the New Testament. Moses doesn't respond in any way, shape or form. Almost as if he says, you know what? I'm not going to defend myself. I'll let God do it. Let's let God make a decision on who's right or wrong here. Not just our own opinion. Whose opinion's more important? Miriam and Aaron's or God's? Moses gets it right. And that's what it means in meekness. That he doesn't escalate the situation. You know when someone's angry and bitter with us and they put it in an email or they say it to our face and we respond in that moment, what happens? Nine times out of ten, what happens? If Jason's angry with me and I respond in that moment, what's going to happen, Jason? 
I'm, yeah, he said I'm going to try and slap him. I wouldn't do that. I'm a man of peace. But I would probably be angry. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Grace? Mm, that's telling. Um, but it, it escalates the situation, doesn't it? Then when we respond in anger and they respond in anger, and before you know it, there's this bloodbath going on and it's just not pretty. But actually, Moses doesn't defend himself. And some of you here this morning need to know this, that what, however we've been wronged, even today, this could be in small ways or big ways, we've been defamed, people have said stuff of us, all wrongs will one day be righted, whether it's now or it's in the future. There will be justice. All the wrongs in this life will be set right. And because of that truth, it means that in the midst of opposition, we can respond in gentleness. Now, that doesn't mean we're a pushover. That doesn't mean we don't rebuke if they need rebuking or say it straight if they need to say it straight. But there is a way of communicating things. And actually, that's not weakness, but incredible strength because it displays trust in God. Us taking matters into our own hands and responding angrily to that angry email back is taking matters into our own hands. Taking a breath, taking a pause, stopping, maybe not doing anything about it. Actually, that can be saying, I'm going to trust in God to deal with this, that he knows better than I know. And it's really hard. It's a beautiful thing, but it is really, really hard to do. That's why meekness is countercultural. It's not easy, is it? We want to defend ourselves. We want to be in control of everything in our life. I had, I mean, I knew I was preaching on this. Some of you might have found this funny, but it's not. I knew I was preaching on blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so I was kind of concentrating on meekness, you know, deliberately. Right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble. I'm not going to respond. If somebody says something, or I'll be gracious, I'll be kind. Not that I'm not normally, but I'll make, a, I'll make a special effort, if you like. And then Grace got home from the women's breakfast yesterday, and a wall had hit our car. Can you believe that? A wall had like jumped out of nowhere and like hit the vehicle. Um, and this car that we have, you know, it's not new, but it's new to us. Like, say, two weeks, something like that. I quite like it. And um, she came in. And uh, looked a bit, you know, drained in her face. And I thought, oh, crumbs, one or two things happened. So something terrible has happened at the women's breakfast. Or something else terrible has happened. And she said, it's the car. And I thought, oh, man, it's broken down or something. And then when she said a wall had hit our car, much like the time I was driving in Belgium and a rock jumped out in front of the car, and I have no idea how it did it, but put a massive dent in the side of the car, it had happened again, but with a wall. Now, did I respond in meekness and gentleness? I should have done. That's all I'm going to say. I should have done. There's a weight of conviction that falls upon us when we talk about meekness. Because we realize, actually, the state of our own hearts. It's not easy. But it's something that God wants us to do. Why? Because it brings glory to God. Why? Because people will notice a difference in us when we respond kindly and with gentleness and with a calm even when things don't go our way. And you know what? I believe as a church we can develop and promote a culture of it in things where we believe the best in one another. We speak well of each other. If someone is angry with us, we pause. We don't respond in that moment. If there's something we're disappointed with, we don't respond in that moment. We take a step back. 
we get some perspective, we roll it onto God. Can't we have a culture of that in our church? A culture of meekness? A culture of gentleness in the way that we speak to one another? It would be a beautiful thing. I don't want us to confuse, though, uh, that if we're passionate people, that we can't be meek. There might be some of you here who are, you know, your disposition is to be really quiet and really calm normally. That doesn't equate meekness. Just as someone like me who's a bit shouty and a bit passionate doesn't mean I too can't be meek. It's not necessarily, you know, it's more about how we're saying things and taking a moment and pausing and are we rolling things onto God or not. You know, meekness, I believe, as well dictates are we prepared to listen as well. You know, if we're prepared to speak into people's life, if we're prepared to give our opinion on something, we have to be prepared to stop and listen as well. That's a meek attitude. A meek attitude says, you know what, I'm not always right, and I'll hold my hands up if I get it wrong. We don't like doing that, do we? But it's another example of what meekness is. Anyway, you might be thinking it sounds like a lot of hard work. It's so countercultural. It's so different to my natural disposition. Well, yeah. That's part of it. It's part of why we roll it onto God. That's part of why we say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need your help because I cannot do this without you. But Jesus doesn't leave it there for us, does he? And don't worry, the second half won't be quite as long as the first bit. But there's a, there's a promise to come attached to blessed are the meek. And it's this. They will inherit the earth. And it's amazing. You know what? Our ultimate destination is not heaven. You know that? Everyone's like, oh, we'll go to heaven when we die and we'll live in heaven forever. No, you won't. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches our ultimate destination is a new earth and a new heavens. There will be a new earth. And that is what Jesus is talking about here when he says, you will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meat. Blessed are the ones that roll things onto me. Blessed are the ones that follow after me all their days. Why? Because they'll be with me forever. They'll have all things. They will inherit the earth. And not the earth as we know it now. Messed up and screwed up and damaged and greenhouse gases and polar bears drowning. None of that. But a new earth, restored, made right. That's the promise that awaits And I'll explain with this last illustration on why meekness and humility are so important. Is we all do this, don't we? I think we do the humble brag. And we do the uh, subtly letting others know about how fantastic our life is whilst undercutting it with a bit of woe is me. Like, oh, I've just bought this new house, but it's not as great as next door's. What we're saying is, I've bought a new house, check out my new house. And we can do that in our, our walk with God, we can do that at work, we can do it in all sorts of different ways. But if the promise for those who are meek is that we will inherit the earth, it's a little bit like doing that and saying, I just bought this new house. It's not the best view, but it'll do for now, which is basically a brag about having a new pad. But you know what? If, if we had in mind that we will inherit the earth, we wouldn't operate in this way because we'd realize that God owns the city. We wouldn't brag about the things that we have compared to other people or the things that we don't have. Because God owns the earth. Because all things are in him. Because one day, 
the meek, the gentle, those that don't have to defend themselves will get all things. It ends well, basically, for those that follow after Jesus. And we need that, don't we? Don't we need that hope? We need that reminder that actually one day all the wrongs will be made right. One day I'll be with Jesus forever and every tear will be wiped away and it will be fantastic because right now I'm struggling. We need the promise that we need the carry on being meek. It's okay, it's okay because better things are going to come. We need that promise and we need to remember that. And you know what is so countercultural? It's costly for us to maybe not retaliate, to stay silent in a difficult meeting. They, they say it takes, I don't know if I can use this word, I'll, I'll, I'll use the word kahunas instead. Um, <laughs> they say it takes larger kahunas, the bigger man, to walk away than to have a fight. And that's right, isn't it? And I would tell myself that every single time whilst I was in school, whilst I was lamping the guy back, I'd say it takes a bigger man to walk away. And then I'd get beaten up time after time because I didn't learn to actually respond in gentleness and meekness. God wants his people, he wants you this morning to roll those things onto him, to trust on him, to wait on him, to not get angry and to not fret around like a headless chicken. He doesn't want you to be doing like that. He doesn't want us to operate in that way because one day we'll be with God forever and everything, every wrong will be made right. So it's as if to say, don't waste your time trying to justify yourself, trying to defend yourself retaliating, speaking badly of people, being proud. You're a follower of Jesus. It's okay. It will end well. The quiet, the gentleness, it's a vulnerable thing, but it's not a weak thing. Wouldn't it be great if when people thought of our characters, like I started with at the beginning, and they thought, oh, so-and-so, yeah, they're meek. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing? Yeah, they're gentle, they're kind, they're compassionate, they're humble, they're lovely. That would be a precious and beautiful thing. And remember this from Romans. God will hold back no good thing from those who trust in him. He who did not even spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us. Has he not freely given us all things in no good thing will be withheld because we have Jesus. No good thing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth.